You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and this edition, as are all our shows through the month of December, is sponsored by our good friends over at Pro Prep. Still buzzing after last night. Really, really impressive performance from the Arsenal. So much to be positive about. I've watched the game back again. And when I was thinking about the subject or topic Uh, which I wanted to base this episode around, there was a standout topic. There was a standout discussion point for me off the back of last night's game. And that is, for me, Gabriel Martinelli's coming of age. Now, look, when I say coming of age, I don't mean that Gabriel Martinelli was crap and all of a sudden he's, he's turned the corner. I don't mean that Gabriel Martinelli never showed any promise whatsoever and has all of a sudden become a world beater. I'm not comparing him to R9 like has been stupidly suggested uh, in the comments. What I am saying is that we're finally starting to see a more complete Gabriel Martinelli. The Gabriel Martinelli that Mikel Arteta feels is responsible enough to hold down a role in this team and be a regular starter. And if you think carefully about some of the things that Mikel Arteta has said about Gabriel Martinelli over the course of his managerial tenure, and you kind of try and read between the lines, you'll come to the conclusion that there's never really been a question mark in Mikel Arteta's mind about Gabriel Martinelli's quality, about his ability, about his work rate, about his attitude. But there have been question marks around his discipline. There have been question marks around his discipline in the sense of positionally. I don't mean He's going to go get himself sent off every week. He's not always felt that he could trust him from a tactical point of view. And I think what Gabriel Martinelli has done incredibly well is worked very, very hard behind the scenes, um, made sure that he's shown to the manager that he can follow instruction, that he can take certain things on board and slightly adapted his game as a result of that, which now means he is somebody that Mikel Arteta sees as a serious contender for a starting place in that team. So, as I say, I I do really think that last night we saw the kind of the tip of that, of Martinelli's development. Um, You know, we've seen that Gabriel Martinelli has, in my opinion, not turned the corner because he was never bad in the first place, but has really taken his game up to another level. That's my view. And on this episode, I'm going to tell you guys why I think that why I feel that based on having watched the game from last night back once again. Uh, Also want to say a big hello before we dive right into it to all of those of you in the chat box. Hope you are well. Um, Worrying times again at the moment here in the UK. We're hearing of Premier League games dropping like flies as well as the obviously uh, serious health risk to the general public as well. But it feels like football, which was something that we really held on to. during the last kind of lockdown, even if it was being played behind closed doors, it was something that kept us going. And now we're at a point which is very different where football is getting towards that point where it might need to stop again. Um, And if it does, 
you know, I, it's it's damaging um, to obviously those who, who rely on it as a bit of a kind of mental escape um, from everything else. It's damaging to those who rely on it to give them something to look forward to during a time like this. And uh, fingers crossed it doesn't happen. But, you know, we're getting toward that point that we were at last time, just before the game stopped. Then we came back, project restart, et cetera, et cetera. And we got some football. And although it wasn't the football we'd been used to in terms of the tempo, in terms of the pace, in terms of the intensity created largely by fans in stadiums, it was something. And now we're in a place where we could be well going into a break. I wouldn't be surprised. I know that there are question marks and there are fears around if we do keep postponing football matches, when on earth are we going to fit them in? I think the season's going to be have to be extended at the end, but it feels like as much as I don't want it to happen, look, football stops, my work stops, you know, right at Christmas time. That's not what I want. Um, but I, I do fear that we are heading that way. And um, I think just brace yourselves for it. Uh, let's... Um, Let's just give you guys a quick reminder that if you haven't done so already, please hit the like button on the YouTube video. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. You know the drill by now. Check out some of our YouTube shorts. Started doing YouTube shorts. Had a few people requesting them. And there is a poll in the YouTube chat, which I'd love you guys to answer because I get a lot of messages um, and a lot of kind of tweets and things like that from people saying to me, when are you going to do a watch along again? If you remember during the lockdown, I did quite a few watch alongs because I couldn't go to all of the games. I was kind of at home. Um, it was a good way of watching the game with company while we were kind of in lockdown. Um, I do quite enjoy doing the watch alongs, but I'm also happy to not do them as well. Um, and, and unfortunately, that choice has been kind of taken out of my hands when work has come along and, and got in the way of that. So I'm really interested to know if you guys want to see watch-alongs, if you want to see a watch-along of Arsenal's trip to Leeds. Um, I'm not going to be attending that because I do have some work that I have to do here in London in the morning, which means I will then not have time to get up to Yorkshire. Um, but if you want to see a watch-along or you don't want to see a watch-along, if you think they're crap, if you think they're shit, if you think they're a waste of time, please vote accordingly in the chat box. And if enough of you want the watch-along, uh, then I'm happy to do it, as I say. Uh, so please um, give me uh, give me your steer on that, and I'll go with whatever you guys uh, you guys feel and say. Okay, uh, right. Let's uh, get into it then. Let's talk Gabriel Martinelli, and I want to start with some really interesting comments that I thought that Mikel Arteta made in his post match press conference last night. Now, at the time of recording the post match reaction podcast, I had not seen. Mikel Arteta's press conference. I had not even seen the game back. I'd only seen the goals um, and the penalty incident on a very limited highlights package. But one of the things that really struck me from Mikel Arteta's press conference was, was something he had to say in particular about Gabriel Martinelli. And I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but he said something along the lines of he's not doing everything at 100 miles an hour anymore, which really kind of resonated with me because, as I said, one of the issues that Mikel Arteta has clearly had with Gabriel Martinelli is struggling to trust him to deliver tactically, struggling to trust him to manage the game right, even manage himself right in terms of not burning out too quickly in games. And I think that that is telling, you know, that kind of gives me an indication that that's something that they the guys have been working on. You know, Martinelli, high impact, uh, all action player, is it? 
in a lot of ways, he's a typical South American forward, isn't he? If you think back to some of the other examples that have graced the Premier League, um, you know, Alexis Sanchez, one of our own, uh, was somebody who was incredibly dogged, tenacious, had the technical ability to go with that, as does Gabriel Martinelli. But one of the big kind of features of Alexis Sanchez's game was that he was so intense, hunted the ball down, um, made sure that he got into the right positions, wasn't afraid to take risks. And you could almost see the anguish on his face when things went wrong. You could see the buzz and, and the way he would thrive off that when things went right. And, you know, Sanchez is one of those players, Luis Suarez, another player, uh, who we might have seen at Arsenal, but for a stupid bid. Um, Carlos Tevez is being mentioned in the chat. There's so many players of South American origin who have come to the Premier League and added that tenacity as along with the, the technical quality and, and sort of footballing brain. And I think with, with Gabriel Martinelli, he's the next in a long list of those. He's the next in line. Um, you know, I think the Premier League is a, a, a notoriously physical league. It's played at a much higher tempo than a lot of the other big leagues in Europe. And I think that's why these players who have that in their locker tend to thrive when they come to England. I think toward the end of your career, you need to start to adapt your game if that's the type of player you are. I think we've seen with people like Alexis Sanchez, for example, that when you get to a certain point, it's not easy to maintain that level anymore and it's not easy to deliver at that level week in, week out. So I think there is a lot to be said for how players manage their game towards the twilight of their career in the latter stages where maybe they don't have the fitness to be as tenacious and as all action as they are at this point in time. But that's not something that we need to worry about right now with Gabriel Martinelli. Still incredibly young, still got a long way to go before that's even a concern. But as I say, one of the big things Arteta um, said was that he wasn't doing everything at 100 miles an hour. And I think what you're seeing is a more mature Gabriel Martinelli. Now, what do I mean by more mature? I mean that he seems to understand better when he should be going at 100 miles an hour, closing someone down, busting a lung to get into a certain position. And when he should be that little bit more reserved and just tuck into his defensive position and make sure that he manages that particular situation. I think we're seeing more balance in Gabriel Martinelli's game. I think his movement has improved. Um, you know, people have always pointed to Martinelli as someone who could potentially play as a centre-forward. And while I agree to a degree, and I've said it on here before, that he has a lot of the attributes that you would look for in a centre-forward, I'm actually coming around to the idea now that actually leave him where he is. Um you know, leave him where he is because from the left-hand side, he seems to be able to impact and affect the game a lot more while still taking up positions that a centre-forward would. And having watched back the game, and I, and I would love to be able to share clips on here um, from the game, but I can't because the copyright people will be all over me. It's mad. You know, you can go online and abuse someone and, and abuse tons of people for days, weeks, months, years, and nobody spots it apparently, but the social media companies seem to find copyright breaches at the click of a finger. So I would love to be able to show you clips. I can't. You're going to have to use your imagination. You're going to have to bear with me. But one of the things that Gabriel Martinelli has done incredibly well in recent weeks is get into centre forward positions from the left hand side. Now, what does that do? That creates space in the wide area for the left back to bomb forward. 
it creates pandemonium in the opposition penalty area, whereby a centre-half is looking at, for example, Alexander Lacazette as the man he needs to pick up, the man he needs to watch. He needs to be wary of. And then Gabriel Martinelli comes in from that left-hand side and adds to your worries, adds to your problems, adds to the numbers that Arsenal get in the box. And one of the things we were highly critical of Arsenal last season was we'd work the ball into wide areas very, very frequently. But having done that, we never got enough bodies in the box. And we've improved in that sense as a team overall. But Gabriel Martinelli, for me, has, um, has uh, you know, really... I think added to that in the sense of he is like a guaranteed body that you're going to get in the box more often than not. And I think that's so, so important. Um, so, yeah, I, I think his his movements got better. I think we've seen a maturity in terms of him kind of pacing himself. Look, I think when you play with the intensity that Gabriel Martinelli does and that Lacazette was playing with yesterday and has been playing with in recent weeks, you you look at them and people's first kind of, reaction is, well, they can't last 90 minutes. That's no good. Actually, I would question how many players there are in the world that could last 90 minutes playing in that way. And I think in a lot of ways, if you've got the squad depth and you've got a squad in which you trust, um, as Mikel Arteta seems to be starting to develop now, you are quite accepting of a man as a manager that you'd rather they gave you 150% and you had to make a change with 15 minutes to go. Then you got a half-hearted display, a half-hearted performance. And another really key thing that I felt Mikel Arteta highlighted during the press conference was that Arsenal as a side have been, um, have been a lot more, have been a lot better defensively from the front. And that really sets the tone. And the idea is, obviously, and I'm sure this is every manager's idea, hope, dream, is that your, your centre-backs don't have to actually do all that much defending. And last night, I think, was an example of that, where Arsenal were so good at defending from the front, so good at defending with the first couple of lines, that the centre-backs were rarely troubled. They were on a couple of occasions, but they were rarely troubled to a point where you were incredibly fearful. So I think that there's a lot, to be positive about. And Gabriel Martinelli, when I say coming of age, again, to reiterate the point, I don't mean has all of a sudden become a great player when previously there were question marks around that. I just think that he's giving to the team exactly what Mikel Arteta is looking for and hence why he keeps starting and hence why I believe he's going to continue to play a big, big part. It was never Mikel Arteta doesn't like Gabriel Martinelli. And that was one of the agendas, one of the narratives that was pushed by the Arteta critics uh, throughout last season. It was, well, you know, we've, we're have we at risk of losing this brilliant young talent because Mikel Arteta's got a personal thing with him, got a personal agenda, personal issue. And over time, you're seeing that that is certainly not the case. I'd also say, as a wider point on the young players, where people have said Mikel Arteta's ruining young players, that's absolutely not true. Emil Smith Rowe's playing the best football he's ever played in an Arsenal shirt. But Kayo Saka, after a poor start to the season, I felt, or slightly under par performance, performances at the start of the season off the back of that you know, European championships in the summer has really started to pick up his form again. Martin Odegaard, for the most part this season, has been very good. And you're looking around and all of a sudden it, the, the opposite appears true. The opposite seems 
to be the case. The young players are thriving under, Mart- uh, under Mikel Arteta. They're developing under Mikel Arteta. They're getting better and better every week. I challenged a couple of them to see, not directly to them, but my challenge to them, I guess, was can you add more goals? Can you add more finishing touches? Can you add more end product? And back the manager who's backed you to deliver. Um, and, and they have, you know, and they're doing it. So how can you say that these players, these young players, are not developing under Mikel Arteta. They absolutely are. Very few people in the football world have ever questioned, and I'm not talking about fans, I'm talking about in the, the football space, have questioned Mikel Arteta's abilities as a coach. There are probably still some question marks around him as a manager, though, tactically, in the way he sometimes handles certain situations. But to me, there is so, so much to be impressed about with the way that he's taken some of these young players on. And I think with Gabriel Martinelli, as I say, we're at a place now where Mikel Arteta feels he can trust him, where Mikel Arteta feels that he can, um, you know, he can put him in the side and know that he will deliver what it is that the team requires and not just what uh, it is that he specifically brings to the table. I think the the point, and I keep going back to it, I keep circling back to it, the point about not doing everything 100 miles an hour is about lasting in games, but it's also about having variation in your game, right? When you pick up the ball on the left wing, if the right back knows that every single time you're going to take one touch and bomb forward, there comes a point where, although they're going to have to be physically up to the task of dealing with you, if you're predictable, you're easier to defend against. It's as simple as that. If you always go on the inside, you're easier to defend against. If you always go on the outside, you're easier to defend against. And what Gabriel Martinelli has done is added a variation. So when he does receive the ball, sometimes he'll take a touch, uh, play the ball inside. Sometimes he'll receive it, turn himself on the outside, look for the overlapping run. Sometimes he'll pick up the ball and just start driving towards the penalty spot towards the centre of the goal. Other times he's, he'll stand people up and then use that burst of pace and energy that he has to skip past them and cause problems. He just seems to have um, a lot more variation to his game at the moment. And as I say, um, when I talk about the variation, uh, the coming of age, should I say, it's about variation. It's about maturing. about performing at the highest level week in week out and at this moment in time he is doing that guys um let me know if there is any issues with the audio in the chat because i can see a couple of you mentioned it that it was slightly cutting out a little bit i'm having problems um with this microphone i've had them for a few weeks now um i am buying myself a new microphone for christmas so um yeah i'll, I'll get it sorted but uh, should be audible as far as I can hear anyway. Um, so please do let me know. I think I've got a loose connection in the bottom of this microphone, which um, if you uh, if you knock it or if you vibrate the desk or anything, it just seems to, to cut. But yeah, that's kind of my point on, on Gabriel Martinelli. I think he's shown incredible maturity in the way he's developed his game. But I think he's shown incredible maturity in the way that he didn't down tools. He did um, kind of bide his time, except that there were things that needed to change in his game in order for him to be Mikel Arteta's go-to man or one of the go-to men. There was obviously the concerns last season around rushing him back from that injury and over-exerting him. He said that himself as I keep mentioning. But I think now what we're seeing is we're seeing the fruits of his kind of labour. We're seeing him getting given opportunities, but him having developed enough to when he does get them, take them and give the manager something really to think about. He's added goals as well. 
great goal against Newcastle United. I thought his goal yesterday was brilliant as well. It was Thierry Henry-esque, the way he was played in by Laka, took that touch out of his body and just guided it into the far corner. So much to be positive about. And we've got a real, real player on our hands. And the great thing is, he's not the only one. He's not the only young player in this side that is developing every single week. There's so much to be excited about with Arsenal right now. But that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be bumps in the road. That doesn't mean we're not going to drop points. That doesn't mean we're going to be immaculate and we're going to win the Premier League this season. You know, it's it's all about tempering those expectations. But at the same time, understanding that something good is happening at Arsenal and, and people don't always want to accept it. And, and as I've said before, even if we got to the point where the results took a turn for the worse again and Mikel Arteta was, let's say, fired, I don't think he will be this season, but if he was, you would still, if you were fair, look back at this period of time and say, if we were to go on and be more successful in the future, that a lot of that success would have been built upon the platform created by scrapping loads of the dead wood, developing behind the scenes players like Saka, Smith Rowe. Like Saka has developed so much, I think. I think the way he takes people on and the way he carries the ball into the penalty area, he does it so much more confidently than he did before. I think with Emil Smith Rowe, he's added goals to his game. That's been done on the training ground. You know, I never would have backed Emil Smith-Rowe to score goals prior to that. I thought everything leading up to his play, uh, leading up to that final moment in his play was really good. He was a bit like an Alex Iwobi, wonderful dribbler, good passer of the ball, but give him the ball on the edge of the box and he can't even generate the power to get a shot off, let alone beat the goalkeeper. And he's really developed. Martinelli now looks a far more sophisticated player. So all of these things are down to coaching behind the scenes. Obviously, the players have the talent and that talent is is going to naturally grow as the years go by, but it has to be nurtured right. And I think it is being nurtured right. And for Gabriel Martinelli, we're at a point now where I believe we're seeing, as I say, a much more sophisticated and mature player who will undoubtedly continue to have an impact on our season. Let's go over to the Super Chats. Let's go over to the questions. Um, had to cut the Q&A a little bit shorter than I would have liked on last night's post-match reaction podcast, but it was nearly 1am and I had a really early start this morning, which is why I've got bags under my eyes and I probably look all over the place. Um, so I'm going to take some of your questions on this episode to make up for that as well. Uh, but before I do that, let me just bring you guys a quick message from our sponsors over at ProPrep. They're kindly sponsoring the Chronicles of Aguna podcast for the month of December. ProPrep is the perfect study tool for university students undertaking science, technology, engineering, or maths-related modules, and it can half your study time. ProPrep provides bite-sized videos relevant to the module or course, which can be accessed from any device at any time. It's already helped over half a million students to pass their exams. They provide customized STEM study tools that match your syllabus. Long lectures are condensed into short and clear video tutorials. And after the videos, you can go through what you've just learned with interactive exercises and practice questions so that you'll be ready. You can even submit questions to the ProPrep professors and receive a video answer within 24 hours. ProPrep created a special offer just for our listeners. All you need to do is go to their website, proprep.uk slash info slash football for more information. And from there, you can sign up to a free 30-day trial without putting in any credit card information. The link is in the description. Check it out. Supporting ProPrep means you're supporting the Chronicles of Aguna. That's P-R-O-P-R-E-P. 
uh, check it out, Pro Prep, the ultimate study tool. And we thank them for their kind sponsorship. Right, get those questions in. Let's come over to the chat box now for the remainder of the show. Uh, there are 47 likes on the board, but there's over 200 of you watching. Make sure you smash the like button if you haven't done so already. It really does help get the videos and the podcast out to as many people as possible. Um, also, uh, please vote in the poll in the chat if you're watching us live on YouTube at the moment. I want to know, do you want to see a Chronicles of Aguna live watch-along of Arsenal versus Leeds? If For those of you who haven't seen one of my watch-alongs before um, and are maybe not going to get to watch the game, they're a bit more like a commentary than they are your traditional watch-along. That's because I am a commentator and um, still learning as a commentator, of course, but um, yeah, that's that's the way I like to do them. So I like to commentate on the match, I like to give you my thoughts and insight and interact with you guys in the live chat throughout the show. So please let me know if you want to see that. And if you do, we'll get that done. Uh, right. Big thank you to Saeed Abdullah. Uh, thank you so much, mate, for your very kind donation. Uh, he says uh, he make, wants to make a point about Arsenal's back four. He said Arsenal's back four won 100 percent of their ground jewels versus West Ham. Takahiro Tomiyasu won five out of five. Ben White, two out of two. Gabriel, two out of two. Kieran Tierney, three out of three. That's impressive. It is impressive. And it's really impressive when you consider that Mikel Antonio, who is widely feared in the Premier League and is renowned for not just being a good goal scorer, but being incredibly difficult to deal with physically. When you think about that and you take that into consideration and you look at those stats, that's really impressive. You're right, mate. And uh, thank you for sharing that. Thank you as well uh, for your kind donation. Right. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Um, uh, a couple of you on the audio. Yeah, it ha I know that it's cut out twice. Um, so, uh, yeah, I knew about that because the sign popped up on my screen. Uh, so thank you. Uh, let's see what we've got. Patrick Carlson says, will we rotate on Saturday? This is really interesting. And it's what I want to talk about on the podcast tomorrow, because I said that we might have seen a slight rotation yesterday. We didn't see that in the end, uh, a slight rotation against the team that played against Southampton. I think we might see a couple of tweaks um, for the game against Leeds United. Uh, but I guess if we are seeing, look, first of all, if the game goes ahead, if we are seeing that um, it looks likely the Premier League is going to stop, then Mikel Arteta might feel that he can get away without making so many changes or without rotating as significantly because of the Christmas schedule then looking slightly different. Now, I don't know that the Premier League is going to stop, but we've just heard before we've come on air to record this, that Leicester versus Tottenham is the latest game to fall casualty to the COVID-19 pandemic. So it's looking like something's going to have to be done. It's looking like we're going to have to have some kind of circuit breaker or, or whatever the decision might be. But yeah, you know, I think it will, the club will be monitoring that. I think Arteta will be keeping a close eye on that. And as I say, if he feels that he can get away with playing the same team because then they don't have a game in such close proximity due to postponements, etc., then he might be tempted to stay with as close to that side as he possibly can. Um, uh, let's see uh, what we've got. Um, Arthur says, Harry, not a question, but please talk about Odegaard and Takahiro Tomiyasu. Yeah, I mean, look, Odegaard was taken off yesterday, replaced by Emil Smith-Rowe. It proved to be a good call because obviously Emil Smith-Rowe came on and scored the goal that made it comfortable or the goal that kind of sealed the victory. 
But I think Odegaard was good again. And I think, look, he's got three and three. He had three and three going into this game. He didn't score yesterday, but I still thought he contributed. And I think, as I said on the, the post-match podcast last night, I still think with Odegaard, one of the big things he does is being in that position um, alone means that Lacazette doesn't have to drop as far deep. And, and in doing that, I think Lacazette gives us more of a focal point, can link up more closely with uh, Martinelli and Saka or whoever it may be who have been named around him. He gets into the score. He gets into scoring positions more. Scored a brilliant goal um, at the uh, at the weekend against Southampton, and then obviously won us the penalty yesterday by being in the penalty area. I know that's where you want your number nine to be, um, you know, and and that seems like a bit of a given. But actually, one of the the criticisms people have had of Lacazette is that he does drop too deep too often. So to be able to kind of facilitate a way in which he can play in and around the box, which is where we want him ultimately, um, is largely down to Martin Odegaard being effective in that position. was watching him very, very closely yesterday from a different viewpoint in the stadium, always leading the press, always setting the tempo. And I talked earlier on about the need to defend from the front, how important Mikel Arteta views that. And he is the perfect player for that, in that he is intense. He does press. And he doesn't only press himself, he encourages and demands that the players around him also join in the press. Because as we've said time and time again, a press without unity is, is not effective. A press needs to be done in unison and it needs to be done cleverly. It's a structured thing. It's not, let's all sprint to the ball as quickly as we possibly can. Presses are done in waves. Presses are done in a structured way, as I say. And I think that Martin Odegaard is key in us maintaining that pressing structure. Um, Imran Khan, uh, Ikram Khan, sorry, mate, uh, says, Harry, mate, I've got to admit, Arteta has handled Gabby really well. Agreed. Um, I think he has. Uh, Josh Hunter asks, do I think the PL might get stopped? I don't know if the PL will want to stop it. Um, I think we're being a place where they probably want to get as many of these games played as possible because of um, the fact of where do they fit them in. But I also think that you know th this this problem in England right now with COVID again uh, is it stems from the government, right? It stems from the government not being decisive in their actions. I don't want to get into politics here, but Boris Johnson or, or whoever it was in his press conference yesterday, I think it was someone else, said something like, um, "Prioritize the the things that you want to go to. Go to stadiums for jabs, not not for football matches." And it's kind of like, well. If you think that people shouldn't be going to stadiums, then how about you ban people from going to stadiums and you put a stop to it? It's like they want to take measures, but they don't want to take them because nobody wants to be the government that cancelled Christmas twice. And as a consequence of that, you get, is the right word, ambiguity. You get uncertainty. You you don't know what to do. Um you know, and people are at the point now, a lot of people in this country are at the point where they've lost faith in the government, they've lost trust in all of it, and they're just going to get on and do whatever they want as long as they're allowed to. So if you as a government feel that you really need to lock things down and shut things down, then you have a responsibility to do it and do it properly. Make it the law. Don't just advise people do it. My mum advised me a million and one things when I was growing up. Doesn't mean I took them all on board. You know, that, that's that, you know, that's the point I'm making it. Don't advise till. And um, I think the Premier League are going to. As a result of the government not taking this action, are going to probably be forced into a place where 
they're going to have to make their own call. Um, and whether that means pausing the Premier League or just going back to playing without fans, it, it remains to be seen. But um, I think there's a real possibility that we get a stop now. Yeah. Um, as I say, the games are, are, are dropping like flies and I don't, I don't like the fact that we're going to be in a place and I know it's unprecedented times and we've had this before, but I don't want to be in a place where one team's played 16 games and one team's played 12 games because it just makes the table impossible to read and it provides unfair advantages to certain teams at various points as well. So yeah, I think the best thing would probably be pop a two week break in there, um, give the players Christmas off and, and the time to spend with their families and then extend the season by a couple of weeks at the back end of that. Um, you know, I think if you asked a lot of Premier League footballers who rarely get to spend Christmas um, or all of Christmas with their family and friends, would you rather spend Christmas with your family and work an extra two weeks at the end of the season? I don't think there'd be that much uproar uh, against that. So I think we will get some kind of... Um, a question to follow on from that from, um, from John Daly is uh, is very, very similar. And he says, do you think we'll be without fans in grounds before the new year? Will it affect who and if we can sign or sell anyone in January? Well, naturally, clubs will take measures to protect themselves financially um, in the event that fans are not allowed to go to stadiums again. It's a big source of income. It's not the biggest source of income. The TV money really outweighs that nowadays. But yeah, I think clubs will be more um, cautious in the transfer window if they foresee a period of time where they're going to be without fans again. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Let's take a few more of your questions. Um, Cult of the Red Barrel says, Tommy Asu has been the best acquisition at right back we've had since Lauren. Would you agree? There's one other name that pops into my head when I think about that question, and that name is uh, Bakari Sanya who I thought was a very, very good right back. But we just didn't have the team at the time to compete and to keep him happy. And he ended up leaving the club. But yeah, I think um, I think that Tommy Asu is right up there, though. I think he's someone who's got all the physical attributes that make him the perfect fit for the Premier League. And and I just think when you think about the way Arsenal want to play, and I, and I always talk about this lopsided system whereby the left back is afforded more freedom than the right back. Um, and that is partly because of you know, the profile of those players and partly because of the way we set up in midfield with Granit Xhaka being willing to cover those holes more than Thomas Partey is to do on is is doing on the right-hand side, which gives the left-back that little bit more licence and cover. I think he just, he's a, he's a, Tommy Asu for me, aside from being great physically, is a system player and he fits perfectly into this system. So I think it's a really good acquisition. It's a really good sign and I'm delighted with what I've seen of him so far. Uh, let's see what else we've got. And let apologize if I missed some of your questions. There are so many that I just, um, want to, um, let you know that I'm not missing anybody specifically on purpose or any question on purpose. I'm just trying to pick up random, um, essential departures is, have you thought about how much time you spend countering the negative comments? I love the content. It's above giving time to those who would divide our fan base. Yeah, I, look, I, I do. I realise that sometimes I do go over the top in sort of batting away some of those comments um, and I do respond to them. I'm human. But as I've said to you guys before, one of the things that fuels me to continue doing this and continue making content and continue doing all the other things I'm doing is, is that I like to prove people wrong 
not in terms of your opinion is shit and mine is great all the time, but in terms of I like to prove to people that I believe in what I do and what I'm doing and nobody's negative comments or abuse or things that try to divide the fan base get to me personally in terms of preventing me getting to my my goals they do get to me sometimes I do go online sometimes I think mate that was so unnecessary and over the top but um the reason I I do counter some of the comments is because it's debate and I think what a lot of people don't realize and and listen a lot of this is by choice okay um the chronicles of Aguna for those of you who don't know the origins of it it was a book I wrote a book titled The Chronicles of Aguna, where I covered the 2017-18 season, which proved to be Wenger's last. And I, I wrote the book like a diary uh, of the season. And um, what happened was off the back of that, I decided to launch this podcast and start this podcast. And I was um, I was talking by myself in front of a camera. And I think one of the reasons I love this community that we've built is because this podcast with one man, a lot of the time we do have guests on. Of course we do. We've got a guest coming on later. Football.London's Kaya Kainak is joining me um, for this evening's show. So we do uh, we do get guests. But for me, one of the things that makes this so great is that in having the debate with the um, the the chat, I can keep the conversation going by myself. Don't underestimate how difficult it is to sit there and, and have a whole hour's podcast where you're just literally chatting by yourself without any pauses, without anybody else taking over. It's not easy, but it's made easier, uh, a lot easier by the fact that there is some debate in the comments and it gives me stuff to talk about. So, yeah, um, I do pay too much attention to it sometimes, but I do think it is um, it is part of what's good about this show as well. Uh, not Maybe not good. That's me blowing. Forget that. Scrap the good comment. It's. It's what's different and unique about the Chronicles of Aguna in comparison to some of the other Arsenal podcasts. And I don't class this as a YouTube channel. I class this as a podcast that is also on YouTube uh, because of, of the way it goes out. Right. Uh, let's take a few more of your questions. Um, don't forget to hit the like button, by the way. If you haven't done so already, let's quickly check in on the likes. 240 of you watching only 89 likes on the board. Let's get that over the 100 mark. Come on, guys. Like, 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 subscribe. You know the deal by now. Um, also, get voting in the poll. We've got 150 votes on the board now. Uh, looks like we will be doing a watch along for the Leeds game as long as that, um, as long as that continues. Uh, right. Let's take this one uh, from Izzy. What positions would you address in January, Harry? I think for me, one of the big worries I've got is... Um, is the center of midfield. I know that Jack is back now. Um, but I am worried that without um, one of him or Thomas Partey, we're a little bit lightweight in that midfield. I think, look, while Xhaka was out, there were games in which we performed um, with Lekonga alongside Partey. I think Lekonga could probably do a good job alongside Xhaka as well. I think Ainsley Maitland-Niles performed at times, not always, but did perform at times as well. So I think we do have options, but none of those options are really solid options to me. Mohamed Elneny can come in and do a defensive job if and when you need him to. But I just think we could do with an upgrade in midfield. And I think that, uh, look, I don't think that it will be addressed in the summer, uh, in January, sorry. I, I was very adamant that 
it, in my opinion, it would only be addressed if Granit Xhaka had a setback or Granit Xhaka took longer than expected to recover. It seems like he's, you know, Touchwood made a very good and strong recovery. He looks brilliant, um, you know, and he's getting fit a week, week after week. Obviously, struggled in that game against Everton in the second half, which was natural after that long period of time out on the sidelines. But he is back. He is available. I think he's playing quite well. And I think that will prevent Mikel Arteta panicking and diving into the January transfer market when actually I think he'd prefer to look at this in the summer, um, study options properly. And, and I'm sure there'll be more transfer budget available in the summer as well. There normally tends to be. And I think that he will um, he would probably postpone doing that until then. I think striker is an area that we're probably a little bit worried about as well, because I think beyond Alexander Lacazette, if indeed um, Aubameyang is going to continue to be frozen out, we probably need another uh, option that you can rely upon. Eddie Nketiah seems to find himself playing uh, now as well. Um, we talked earlier about Martinelli. I don't think he's a centre forward necessarily. And so, yeah, I think the two positions that were in my mind prior to the Aubameyang incident, I would have prioritised the centre of midfield post the Aubameyang incident. If indeed he is going to be departing and he is indeed going to be frozen out, then I think the striker situation needs addressing as well. But again, I think Mikel Arteta will, will really think hard about that um, and do his utmost to make sure that he makes the right call rather than rushes a call. I think he's doing the same with the captaincy. I think he's waiting to see how this develops, how the Lacazette situation develops, whether any of those young players, you know, if they do continue to perform at this level until the end of the season, makes a strong case for themselves as well in that sense. So I think Arteta, when he talks about this being a long-term project and look, talks about people needing to be patient, I think they do need to be patient with the players. They also need to be patient with the manager and the club who don't want to go down the route, I think, of jumping into silly things, i.e. big money transfers that clearly aren't going to work out um, or that have a greater risk than than most transfers of not working out. Every transfer has risk, but there are transfers that have greater risk. Nicolas Pepe was a transfer of huge risk, and we've all seen what's happened there. So, yeah, uh, big hello to Pat Moyles. Um, big hello to Izzy. Izzy. I don't talk, I talk to myself all the time, but I don't call it a podcast. Love that. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, Michael Carpenter says, thoughts on us pushing on at 1-0 in the past couple of games. Yeah, I think we've, did, we've done that better. But as I've, as I've said all along, I never felt that the dropping off was a deliberate tactic. I never felt that it was something that Mikel Arteta had encouraged or wanted. I think it was something that comes from being uncertain about yourselves. It's something that comes from inexperience and something that comes from maybe not always believing that you're good enough having taken a lead to still play your game and protect it. I think that naturally when you're low on confidence and you take a lead, your your instinct of we've got to keep this, let's defend it, I think that kicks in. And I think that happened to us a few times and it's led to us obviously not ending up with the results that we desired. But yeah, it's definitely been better. And I think that when the belief is there in the team, then naturally that becomes easier to do. Um, and I think there has been a lot of belief in the attacking players against, South I know it was against Southampton, but against West Ham as well, you saw a lot more belief, a lot more flair, a lot more kind of trust in their own ability than we'd seen previously. So, um, yeah, uh, enjoying enjoying that. Uh, let's see what else he's got. Alex says, um, I think Lekonga has been our best midfielder 
slightly upset he's been benched, but I understand why. I understand this viewpoint. I really, really do. But let me give you kind of my take on this. So Lakonga's been good, but there have been signs of naivety with Lakonga. And and that naivety can be either holding on to the ball too long, which we saw Granite Xhaka do uh, on one particular occasion yesterday. So I'm not saying that 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 issue is exclusive to young players. You know, it, it's a problem um, for others at times as well. But I think there have been signs of naivety. I think he's given the ball away a couple of times in dangerous areas, maybe put people under pressure when he didn't need to. That doesn't, though, for a second outweigh with the good he's done. I think he's been very progressive in his passing, very brave, very confident, and he's slotted into the team really, really well during Xhaka's absence. But I think what you've got here in this Arsenal side is the need to strike balance. And that balance needs to be, and I know Arteta is quite big on this and talks about this a lot, but you need to find the balance between having seasoned and experienced professionals as well as young, vibrant, fearless youngsters. And I think that in, you know, we were talking about, you know, Aubameyang's not in the team right now, right? And I think in Aubameyang making way and Granit Xhaka coming in, you've replaced the senior player, which means you can then bring in another young player. Does that does that kind of make sense? I it might not be looked at as basic and as simple as this, right? And a lot of this is down to who's available and who's not. But I think that Mikel Arteta looks at his team and insists that there are at least three, four of his what he'll call leadership group um, players on the pitch to accommodate the young players that he wants to get a look at. I think people like Xhaka give him that um, solidarity. They get, they're reliable in the sense that you know their attitude's always going to be right. And you know, most of the time, what you're going to get from Granite Xhaka. I think Thomas Partey is another player. And I think there's no position where that is more important than in the heart of your midfield. And so I think having that Xhaka Partey pivot gives Mikel Arteta the confidence that he can play a Martinelli from the start. And, and, and he can trust some of those young players that little bit more. So I think that's why Lokonga's found himself left out, not because he's done anything wrong, but because Xhaka gives Mikel Arteta what he wants and what he feels is necessary to accommodate the inexperienced and the the more maybe vibrant young players that he, he wants to get in the team. Now, I'm not even saying that that's 100% right. And I know there are a lot of Arsenal fans that don't like Granit Xhaka, don't feel he warrants a place in the team. I'm just telling you how I believe Mikel Arteta sees it. And I think that's how he sees it with regards to Xhaka being in the side. He sees that as more important than Lokonga's, um, than Lokonga getting minutes at this moment in time because he's prioritising the good of the team. And if Mikel Arteta feels that this is the way to win games, this is the way to push forward, then at this moment in time, uh, you, know, it, you know, remember where Arsenal were, okay? Remember where we were at the back end of last year. It was almost a year to the day, I think, that we lost to Everton and we got, you know, we were in a really poor position. I think we were four or five maybe points from the relegation zone. And you fast forward a year, we had an excellent second half to last season um, in comparison to where we'd been. And we've had a good start to this season. Keep saying it, fourth is the absolute maximum for this Arsenal team. So to be there now is obviously positive. So I think that largely over the last year, things have been moving in a good direction, in a positive direction. Whether people want to admit that or not is, is up to them. There have been bumps in the road. There have been some disappointing performances on, along the way. But nobody said we were perfect. But I just think that 
you've got to trust in the manager to to strike this right balance. I think he's done it very, very well um, over the last year or so. And I think Lokonga would have come in this season knowing that he was going to be a bit part player for the time being, that he was going to be embedded in slowly. He only really got the games that he got because Xhaka was injured. That injury doesn't happen to Xhaka and you've seen a lot less of Lokonga and then you're less disappointed that he's not playing. Does that make sense? Um, that's that's the kind of way I see it anyway. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Um, let's pick out one more. Let's pick out one more. Um, also, while I'm picking out that final question, do you know what you can do? Because I like it when people do this. It, it's really fascinating to see. Well, first of all, you can get the likes up to 150 because we're on 112, but there's over 300 of you watching now across the multiple platforms. Also, you can vote in the poll. 78% of you want to see the watch along against Leeds. It looks like we're going to be doing it. Um, but you can also let me know in the comments exactly what part of the world you are tuning in from. And I'll give some of you guys a shout out between now and the end of the show. That's always good fun. Uh, right. Let's take one more question. Um, O'Melly says, what players leave in January? There he goes. The audio has gone again back. Uh, I'm not sure that anyone leaves in January. Uh, I'm not sure that Arsenal will want anyone to leave in January, with the exception of maybe, say, a Kalasinac. But with the injuries got, I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, will Aubameyang leave, I guess, is the big question. Again, totally depends on what happens um, in the transfer market totally depends on whether somebody is interested in taking him away. Totally depends on whether someone is willing to offer him the kind of contract that he like uh, he wants or sees as um, uh, as fair. I think for me with Aubameyang, if he has really fallen out and he is really disgusted with Arsenal um, and and Arteta and really is upset about the whole situation, I I'm really interested to see how he's going to respond. Is he going to get his head down, work hard, train? and force his way back into the squad because he's good enough to be in the squad. You know, there's no question about that. Or is he going to throw his toys out of the pram? In which case, if you're going to throw your toys out of the pram, then do what needs to be done to facilitate a move. You're going to see if he's a mercenary. You're going to see if it's all about the money. As we've seen with so many players over the years who have dug their heels in, wanted to stick to a really big contract, claimed that it was all about football, but really uh, monetary issues were, were at the forefront of their thinking. So, yeah, um, I, I don't expect Aubameyang to leave in January. I think it's going to be difficult to find someone to take him on. Um, but I don't think Arsenal will be actively looking to move players on. I think they'll be alert to the market if indeed opportunities present themselves, i.e. players coming in. But I don't think you're going to see an awful lot of movement one way or the other if I'm predicting what the window is going to bring. But I didn't predict that we would make do so much business last summer, so I could be proven wrong for sure. Right, let's uh, say some hellos. Uh, Don Juan joins us from Brixton in Southampton. The King of Prussia joins us from Valhalla in New York. Uh, we've got JM in Melbourne, Australia. Quasi's in Ghana. Uh, Essential Departures in New Brunswick, Canada. We've got uh, Gam Sola is in Morocco. Wow. Uh, Chad is in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Brian's in Toronto. Arsenal Granny's in Texas. Uh, we've got Westchester. Um, the King of Prussia, you, you're in a few places, or is that part of the, the address? I don't know. Uh, Lewis Cooper's in Preston. Uh, what else we got? Martin is in southern Georgia. We've got Alex at Wembley Stadium. 
What are we doing there? You've gone to win the, the FA Cup. Uh, Steve is in Kent. Um, Lewis Cooper says, big up from the American, uh, big up the American fans. Yep, indeed. Uh, Riddy's in Birmingham. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Aaron says, cheers from the Lake of Constance at the Germany-Switzerland border. Hmm. Uh, Tezzy's in Cork Island. We've got Raymond in Dubai. Uh, Matt Tomo pointing out that whoever's in Valhalla is like 20 minutes away from him. Go and have a beer. Watch a game of football together. Uh, Fido is in London. Um, Craig is in Ayrshire, Scotland. Um, and yeah, brilliant, brilliant stuff. We've got gooners all over the world. Um, I just want to take this, this point as well before I wrap up. I know I said it was the last question, but it's a really good one from Dave, who says, do you think Barcelona will take over because of Aguero's retirement? That's really interesting, isn't it? Uh, of course, Sergio Aguero, who is a Premier League great, there's no doubt about it. Uh, sadly called time on his career yesterday uh, after being diagnosed with a heart condition. Yeah, um, you know, Barca might be on the lookout for a striker, but Aguero, I don't think, has, has he played for Barcelona? I don't know this. I, as I keep saying to you guys, I'm not massive on Spanish football. Um, but Barcelona have been without him for now. I wonder if they'll delay till the end of the season just because of finance. You know, finance has been a massive problem for Barcelona. Um, of late, and I and I wonder what impact that will have. I think in an ideal world, they'd love to bring in a striker, uh, given that they've now lost Sergio Aguero. Um, so yeah, I'm sure they'll be looking at it. I'm sure they'll be thinking about it. Uh, but can they do it from a, a financial perspective? That is the big question. But it's a great question, Dave, and uh, it's a situation we'll be keeping a close eye on over the course of the January window. Remember, we'll be bringing you transfer daily shows throughout the January window. We can talk about. Um, we can talk about the um, the Arsenal business and we'll also keep you across what's going on in the rest of the Premier League as well, uh, just in the event that everything's dry and dead with Arsenal. But there you go. Right, we're going to leave it there. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Apologies uh, for the audio issues on a few occasions during this episode. I know the audio cut out just momentarily. Um, a couple of times. So I do apologize. Uh, please do hit the like button. If you haven't done so already, we're 25 likes away from 150. Get voting in the poll. Subscribe to the channel if you are new. I'd love to get to 20k subscribers on the Chronicles of Aguna YouTube channel by the end of the season. That's my goal. That's my ambition. I think it's going to be difficult because the subscriber rate has slowed down a little bit over the last few months, but it's not out of the realms of possibility. So, um, Please do subscribe if you are watching uh, and you're not subscribed at this moment in time. Turn on the little bell icon so that you get notifications every time we go live and put out a show as well. I'll catch you all next time. Until next time, goodbye. Take care. See you later. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.